You know, those who follow Christ uh, look forward to a sweet and joyful fellowship and communion that awaits us in heaven someday. Do you? Do you? Um, if you're a follower of Christ, you should. If you're one of God's children, you should look forward with great anticipation the sweet and the joyful fellowship and communion with other believers that awaits you in heaven to say nothing of the wonderful and, and sweet fellowship that you and I will enjoy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven. Um, unfortunately, though, there's the here and now, right? Unfortunately, we are here on this earth, and often there is a, a lack of joy in what we call earthly uh, relationships, right? Sometimes there's a lack of joy, there's a lack of, of fellowship, there's a lack of contentment in our earthly relationships in the here and now. Now, someone has once said, said it this way, uh, which I think puts it pretty well. To live above with those we love, that will be grace and glory. To live below with those we know, now that's, that's a different story. <laughs> won't and we can say won't heaven be great and we look at our earthly relationships sometimes and that even causes us to go oh i can't wait for heaven won't heaven be great no more difficulties no more difficult people no more disagreements no more misunderstandings and as the hymn goes that will be glory be glory for me right oh but you know to live below with those we know now that's a different story right do you suppose that that's the way it's supposed to be? Do you suppose that strained relationships and difficulty in uh, getting along is the way it's supposed to be? You think? Is that the way it's supposed to be here on earth? Is it really possible? And I know that sometimes we this thought might cross our minds. Is it really possible to have relationships that are, that are peaceful in this fallen world? Is it really possible to have relationships that aren't tense and burdensome in this, in this fallen and sinful world in which we live? Or is it, is it actually possible to have relationships that are harmonious and satisfying and fulfilling? Well, I believe God's Word shows us that it is possible to have harmonious and satisfying relationships, even while we're still here on earth. I think God's word shows us that it is possible. And for those who follow Christ, there's what we call Christian fellowship. It's what I think 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 speaks of. And just listen as I read, because we're going to Colossians chapter 4 in just a moment. But 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 tells us this, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, what I understand from 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 is that there is a, there's a very special type of friendship for those who have fellowship with God. For those who have fellowship with God the Father, and that fellowship begins with Jesus Christ, so it's through Jesus Christ we have fellowship with God the Father, there's a special kind of friendship. And when we have fellowship with God, it means that we should have fellowship with God's children, with God's people, with other believers. So what I also take from that passage is, looking at it from a different perspective, what I also take from this is that when we aren't experiencing fellowship with other believers, then 
it's likely that we aren't experiencing proper fellowship with God. Because God's children, when they are enjoying sweet fellowship with God, they should enjoy sweet fellowship with God's children. Now, I believe the root of our struggle in human relationships isn't the relationship itself so much as it is our relationship with God as individuals. Have you ever stopped to think about your strained relationships here on earth being rooted in whether your relationship with God is where it should be? What we need to understand, I think, is that the quality of our fellowship with God determines the quality of our fellowship with the family of God. Now, the priority must always be for us to keep our relationship with God in tune. I think we, we understand that. We need to keep our relationship with God in tune. We ought to make that the priority of our lives, to, to be in tune with God to be in tune with what His Word teaches that we are to obey, what He commands us we are to obey, we should. And so that priority for us is always there. And I think the health of our relationships here on earth really hinges on the health of our relationship with God. So it's a big priority for us that we make sure that our, that our relationship with Christ is where it ought to be. But having said that, and if you're thinking about this, some of you might be thinking, but wait a minute. There are times when I believe that my relationship with God has been in the right place, and I've been working very hard to have a right relationship with other believers, and and they just won't let me. Those people just won't get along. And to that objection, I would say that God knows that you cannot have the proper relationship with that individual. You cannot force that person or, or another individual into accepting your, your treatment of them in a way that is uh, loving and accepting and true Christian fellowship. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, though, does remind us this. God understands that you can't do, you can't do everything to make, you can do everything you can, but you can't force a person to get along with you, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 18 reminds us that we are nonetheless responsible, aren't we? If, Possible, it says, so far as it depends on you or, or us as followers of Christ. What are we to do? We are to live at peace with everyone. We are to do everything in our power. Put another way, you, you're to do the best you can to live at peace with others, no matter what the outcome. That's hard, isn't it? You're to do the best you can to live at peace with others, no matter what the outcome, no matter whether or not they respond properly to your, your efforts. And then you are to let God work in the heart and the life of that other person. Now, sometimes we want to fix what's broken, don't we? And we want to get our hands on things that are broken and try to fix them and put them back together. And, and maybe we try really hard to even force the relationship back together. But you can only do so much, can't you? And so you might protest when I say the priority for us has to be on our relationship with God. And our relationship with God is what, what makes our relationship with others Appropriate, what, what puts them in the, in the right light and what, what makes them appropriate and right. And yet you might go, but I still, you know, I, I struggle to have proper relationships with some people. Sometimes my relationships with people are broken no matter what I do. And as hard as I try to have my relationship with God right, this earthly relationship will just not fix itself. And that is, and you understand, I think, that is because though you might do everything in your power to honor God in that relationship, that other person is also responsible to God to do everything that he or she can in that relationship. And God knows, as Romans 12.18 reminds us. 
if at all possible, right? If at all possible with you, do everything you can to be at peace with everyone. So I think what it comes down to for us who desire to be in fellowship with God and to have our fellowship with God shape our fellowship with other believers is is this question, and I want to put it a couple of different ways. This question is, what is true Christian fellowship? What's it supposed to look like from my perspective, from a believer's perspective? And what should I be doing to practice true Christian fellowship? And I think we can answer that question by, by answering the question, what does true Christian fellowship look like? What does true Christian fellowship look like? How will we know fellowship when we see it? How will we know true Christian fellowship when we see it lived out in the lives of God's children? How will we know fellowship and whether we're practicing true Christian fellowship ourselves? And I think we see what true Christian fellowship looks like from the perspective of Colossians chapter 4 and verses 10 through 14. I want you to turn there with me this morning. Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. And this... This foundational thinking about our relationships, I think, will help us as we come to this passage and to see if, if you read these four verses without the, without the perspective of true Christian fellowship, you might, you might miss some of what Paul is saying about these individuals he names in verses 11, 12, and 13, and 14. And verse 10, verses 10 through 14. I think we see what true Christian fellowship looks like from the perspective of Colossians 4 verse 10. Let's begin there together, and I want you to follow along with me as I read. Beginning in verse 10, and and know this, remember this, that Paul is writing this letter to the people at Colossae, the believers at Colossae, and he's preparing to send this letter back, and he's closing up his remarks, he's sending his final greetings, and he has others who are with him who are sending their final greetings, their greetings back to to the family of believers at Colossae. So he includes some of their their greetings as well, beginning at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And and Jesus, who is called Justice, Jesus, a very common name in that day, verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. In verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. In verse 14, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now the question, back to the question, what does true Christian fellowship look like? Well, first of all, I want you to note that true Christian fellowship looks like empathy. Empathy. There's a word you don't use very often, but I think it defines for us uh, partly uh, what true Christian fellowship looks like as demonstrated in the lives of the individuals that Paul talks about uh, sending their greetings here in these closing verses of Colossians 4. True Christian fellowship looks like Empathy, and that is a caring, understanding heart. Empathy is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. The the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Empathy. Now Paul says in verse 10, look at verse 10 again. Paul says of Aristarchus, Aristarchus, 
my fellow prisoner greets you. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. Now Aristarchus understood and shared the feelings of Paul because he chose to remain at Paul's side throughout the difficulties of Paul's captivity. And here's how we know this. Because it's not likely that Aristarchus is actually a prisoner along with Paul. But Paul is saying, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus, because he's here with me, he's chosen to stay by my side throughout this ordeal. So it's not likely that Aristarchus was actually a prisoner along with Paul, but we do see him back in Acts chapter 19 and verse 29 where he's recognized as being a companion of Paul. Remember, he's seized by an angry mob there, and then he returned with Paul on his trip back to Jerusalem. And then he was with him on his voyage to Rome, and it's possible he was with him during his imprisonment in Palestine as well. So Aristarchus chose to stay by Paul's side and just stay with him. That's why Paul calls him his Aristarchus is my fellow prisoner. Now, no doubt Aristarchus had learned what it was, as Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. No doubt Aristarchus had been by Paul long enough to see the sufferings that Paul was going through and maybe even to suffer along with Paul in many ways. It's like what Dr. Paul Brand writes. Some of you might recognize the name Paul Brand. We've seen some of the life of the Brands. They were medical missionaries to those suffering with leprosy for many, many years. Uh, He's written and um, been written about by many. Dr. Paul Brand expresses so well in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, he writes this. When I ask patients and their families who helped you in your suffering, I hear a strange, imprecise answer. The person described rarely has smooth answers and a winsome, effervescent personality. It is someone quiet, understanding, who listens more than talks, who does not judge or even offer much advice. A sense of patience, someone there when I needed him, a hand to hold, an understanding, bewildered hug, a shared lump in the throat. I think that's how Paul Brand describes how people care for other people, how how we see that Real fellowship with others is empathy, and real true, true Christian fellowship is empathy. Because we all need people who will come alongside and faithfully serve and even suffer with us in understanding. You know, when God's people have fellowship with Christ, they begin to understand what it is to suffer. When God's people have fellowship with Christ, they begin to realize and understand the depths of the suffering that Christ endured for you and me. You see, Christ suffered on the cross for our sake, and and we're called to show the love of Christ in Christian fellowship, and sometimes that means we come alongside a brother or sister in Christ, and we identify with them so much so to the point that we suffer with them. We suffer alongside them. We identify with their pain and their heartache and their suffering. It also means that you know how to rejoice with them over the joyful blessings of God in their life, and you do so without jealousy, even when it doesn't seem you're enjoying any blessings yourself. You enjoy their blessings, so to speak, because you're with them. You you empathize. You see, true Christian fellowship, I think, looks like empathy, and we see it in Aristarchus. 
and how he comes along beside Paul as his fellow prisoner. Secondly, I want you to note this, that true Christian fellowship also looks like acceptance and forgiveness. You know, if we're going to have true Christian fellowship, we need to understand what acceptance and forgiveness is. Paul goes on in verse 10 to say that Mark, this is John Mark, also greets them. The cousin of Barnabas, in verse 10, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now we know of John Mark back in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, we learned that John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. He abandoned them, so to speak, in the midst of their missionary journey. And this later caused a bit of a rift between Paul and Barnabas. And when Barnabas wanted to take his cousin along with him on their journey, and missionary journey, the, the second missionary journey, Paul was a bit hesitant, to say the least. Paul didn't feel like they could trust him. Didn't think he would stay with them. He was afraid that he would desert them again. And we know from the sharp disagreement that caused Paul and Barnabas to part ways over this issue that that just like you and I, I think it's pretty obvious that just like you and I, Paul and Barnabas didn't always get this Christian fellowship thing right either, did they? (laughs) But thankfully there's, there's more to the story. The story isn't over. As Paul Harvey would say, there's the rest of the story, right? Now I can tell you that true Christian fellowship looks like acceptance and forgiveness because later, by the time of the writing of this letter to the Colossian believers, Mark had changed. John Mark had been changed by God. He'd become a changed person. And Paul had accepted him and forgiven him And as evidenced by Paul's statements later in Philemon and Second Timothy had become a great helper to Paul. In Philemon, verse 24, Paul calls Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, quote, my fellow workers. This is after, after Mark had deserted them and come back and served with them. And in Second Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, and he asked Timothy to, quote, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. probably doesn't take very long for you and me to think about it to answer the question is there anyone in your life that needs to be accepted and forgiven is there anybody in your life that you need to accept and forgive you may wonder as we noted last week whether they'll ever change you might be struggling with an individual who you think may never change but with the hope that we have in Christ that he can change sinners like you and me right He can also change them. And true Christian fellowship looks like acceptance and forgiveness. True Christian fellowship accepts people and forgives people because God accepts us and forgives us in spite of our sinfulness, doesn't He? And there's a beautiful example of the acceptance of and forgiveness of Mark because later... Mark had the privilege of writing one of the Gospels, didn't he? Accepted and forgiven and used by God. Thirdly, true Christian fellowship also looks like caring faithfulness and commitment. Caring faithfulness and commitment. I put it that way because how else could three Jews named in verses 10 and 11 and three Gentiles named in verses 12 through 14 minister and serve together in the midst of a society that worked very hard 
to erect barriers of division among the races and religions. In the society in their day, this was unheard of for Jews and Gentiles to work side by side. Kent Hughes, the commentator, notes, language, national animosities and differences in religion and culture had divided the world of that day into hostile camps which could only be held together by the sword. Here, under Paul's support, both camps were meeting together willingly and lovingly in amazing unity. And that's because of Christ. Because they were God's children and they began to learn what true Christian fellowship looked like. You see, there is absolutely no room for racial divisions and prejudice because of race in the life of a spirit-led believer or any other kinds of prejudice in the life of the church. And as evidenced by the willingness of these men to minister and serve side by side, there was a, a very caring faithfulness and commitment to one another that found its foundation in Jesus Christ. This caring faithfulness and commitment to one another and to the gospel message that they proclaimed was founded in Jesus Christ. You see, Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28 illustrates the kind of unity that God's children have because of Christ when it says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I think Haddon Robinson says it well when he writes, in his letter to the Christians in the town of Colossae, Paul devoted nearly the entire fourth chapter to a roll call of believers. These folks obviously meant a great deal to Paul and his ministry. Most of these people were little known Their names flowed for a moment in the tide of history and then ebbed away. They played a part in the cause of Christ and stepped aside just as you and I will do. But their names represent great variety. God dislikes monotony. Members of social clubs usually seek out people much like themselves, but God's church is diverse. He selects people from all nations, cultures, and social levels and makes them one. In Christ. See, true Christian fellowship looks like caring, faithfulness, and commitments, and it overlooks racial prejudice and barriers established by whatever community you live in, and looks beyond that and looks to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has made us one. The caring, faithfulness, And commitment can also be seen in these servants of Christ's faithfulness in prayer. Prayer, what what an important key in the life of the believer. What an important key to open the door to true Christian fellowship. A true Christian fellowship will be marked by caring faithfulness and commitment to prayer. You can see it in the lives of these men that Paul mentions specifically in verse 12. He says, Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You see, there was a very deep and heartfelt love by these men for the believers at Colossae, which which really evidenced itself 
in their selfless service with Paul in the ministry of the gospel. So true Christian fellowship also looks like caring faithfulness and commitment and evidences itself in the way you labor for others and labor for Christ and pray for others. I want you to think with me this morning as as we think about what true Christian fellowship looks like. When you look at your life, when you think about the outflow of your day-to-day living, does your life evidence true Christian fellowship? Do you see the evidence of true Christian fellowship in the way that you live and the way that you deal with people and the way that you serve your God and King? See, we need to remember that true Christian fellowship is only possible through Jesus Christ. And if we have fellowship with Christ, we can have true, meaningful, substantial Christian fellowship with other believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And our fellowship with Christ is possible because, and only because, of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, not because of anything that we've done or deserved. It's all because of Christ. So as we, as we come to a close this morning, I want you to think about your life, and I want you to ask God to help, help shine the spotlight on your own heart so that you can see whether or not there's evidence of true Christian fellowship in the way that you live toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. We all need to do this as we examine passages of Scripture from God's Word that that challenge our thinking to say, yes, Lord, I'll take the challenge and I'll look at my life. Do you see the evidence of empathy in your life for God's children, identifying with other believers, coming alongside them, quietly caring, being willing to serve alongside with others as they suffer, as they rejoice, Do you see the evidence of empathy in your own walk with Christ and with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you see the evidence of true Christian fellowship, the evidence of acceptance and forgiveness? Are you resentful of others? Are you holding on to a grudge? Or are you accepting and forgiving of others? Do you see the evidence of a caring and faithful commitment to your brothers and sisters in Christ, willing to pray for them, to labor for them and with them, for God's glory. Well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Let's ask God to grow us in true Christian fellowship. Let's ask God to help us examine our own hearts and minds and lives as we close this morning thinking about the challenge that we see here. Precious Heavenly Father, we do bow our heads before you this morning and as we near the conclusion of this wonderful letter to the believers at Colossae, we are reminded of the marks of true Christian fellowship. And Lord, we I trust it's true that we desire deep down to honor and glorify you in the way that we live, in the way that we serve with your children, serve with one another. And so Lord, I pray that you would truly shine the bright light of your word on our hearts to help us see whether we truly show evidence of true Christian fellowship, empathy and acceptance and forgiveness and a caring faithfulness and commitment to serve with and for one another. God, examine our hearts. Father, we've gathered today to hear, hear from You, hear from Your Word. 
through your mighty word. That word that's revealed in our hearts and minds by your guiding spirit. And so, Father, as we close this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see wondrous things from your your law. Lord, help us to never forget your law is perfect. Help us to know what it is to have our souls revived by your word, Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us always to remember that your testimony is sure and it makes wise the simple for your service. So, Lord, we ask, hold the light of your word to our feet and light our path. Feed us, we ask, and pray by the bread of your word from your mouth. And, Lord, help us to be your faithful children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.